Welcome, welcome. This is the Simply King Podcast. It's your boy Rodney Perry King himself, and you just tuned into the Soulfully Conscious Podcast for Humans, Simply Being Humans. And today is a special one. I have here a returning guest, someone who has basically kind of, you know, set records in Simply King podcast history as, you know, really just standing the test of time with the content. Uh, You guys loved her for my Black and Child Free episode. I have brought back here to the Simply King podcast, Dr. Kenya Naru Dennis. How you doing, Doc? I'm doing all right. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, I'm glad to have you. I'm glad to have you back. Um, I don't, I don't want to waste too much of your time. I want to make sure that it's, you know, so productive because I enjoy so much of the conversation that we had. And I think that was in 2020. Time does fly. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> so much has happened. And I think, you know, them pandemic years are going to be a uh, interesting time, I think, for all of us. Like, I, I literally don't even be putting the right moments back into the same things. Like, oh, yeah, I remember, I think I did, you know, some Zoom party for my birthday. I think on mm-hmm. in the 20, it was 21, or maybe it was 22, or maybe it was, I'm so like everywhere with it. But, uh, but I hope you're doing well. I hope you've been well. Yes, have been well. I hope you've been well also. Oh, yeah, I have definitely have. I see your hair has definitely gotten longer, which really definitely, definitely tells us that time is, is, <laughs> has gone by. <laughs> Almost three years. Time is of the essence. Yes, yes, yes. But no, um, I really, I really genuinely want to, you know, not hesitate and not minimize the impact that I believe your episode has definitely had on my platform and the people who listen to me on a consistent basis. It's definitely a podcast that uh, people have told me that that you know, for first time listeners that they you know was just scrolling through, just trying to pick something random to start, just to kind of get a taste of what I you know what I talk about and the content I create. And very often, if they don't listen to yours first, they listen to yours second. It'll be in the it'll be in there you know in a playlist of things they need to tap into. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's just based off the description. I, I believe. Oddly enough, maybe it's, I don't know if it's a my generation thing, but I think to me, I feel like the conversations that I believe me and people of of my particular age group have about family and children and, and marriage and all these various things, it always feels like we are kind of, you know, trying to find a new way of looking at it and not just accepting some sense of traditional viewpoints of marriage and all those different things. So I really do appreciate you coming and just... Really, just giving us the, the give, letting us know that this this is a pathway <laughs> more than anything than the the you know the education of it all. It's like this is a choice. Like you know you know these are your choices, and I think 
so much, so often, I think because of the status quo, we feel like our choices are already chosen for us. So mm-hmm. I, I appreciate you. Know, you know, we call it life script. And we also have to remember Africans around the world, those of us stolen from our original African land, mm-hmm. don't know tradition a lot of times. When we talk about thousands of years of African cultures. It's false to assume that every African culture for hundreds of thousands of years believed in the life script of you got to have babies, you got to have this. That's your only form of communalism, Mm. only form of adulthood and spirituality. That's a very narrow scope of Africans with the full span of understanding Africanism. And I also remind students as well and communities that there are hundreds of thousands of years of forms of birth control and safe sex. Mm. European slash white people did not introduce that in five centuries of colonialism, translating slavery and white terrorism. We, indigenous people, aboriginal people, Asians, Africans have thousands of years before racial categories even existed of birth controls, safe sex options, and abortion also was created thousands of years ago. Come on now, I love this. See, this is a good Black History Month. And that's a Black History Month fact that I think, you know, you don't get to uh, hear broken down too often. And it's one mm-hmm. of those like um, aha moments, like, you know what, how, how long have we, you know, when did that come out? Like, it's always just been around and existed in our lives. So it's like, when, who made that? Who was the first to make that? Or who the first to think to do that? And what was happening prior to the fact or what, like, what's going on really, truly? Because it, it, you know, contraception in so many ways definitely feels like a uh, futuristic idea mm-hmm. in so many ways. Like, you know, just thinking about how many people had children I mean, people mm-hmm. who have really large families and things like that in the past compared to now, because I feel like everyone who was born in like, I feel like all, all, all adults that I know that are born in the 60s, majority of them have like siblings and not too many of them were like only children. And a lot of mm-hmm. them had a lot of siblings. Like my mom, myself is the oldest of like seven. My dad is the youngest of um, of like seven. And, um, and he's the and it's funny because they're really only like a few weeks apart from each other being born and he's the youngest and she's the oldest. So that's like, just to kind of think about it that way. Um, it's real interesting, but, um, but I appreciate you. I, I, I really want to, I really want to, um, catch up with you as well. And, um, and, and wonder kind of, you know, exactly, you know, how has the past three years since we last spoke, really been for you? Is there, you know, any particular research that you know that you have been working on or any particular, you know, findings within just with, with the work that you do that you kind of, you know, would like to speak to? Yeah, so the past three years, I've had family tragedies in terms of the death of my brother and nephew mm. and other family members and friends. And none of them died from COVID as other health issues, suicide and and life tragedies. Mm. And so this is why I also remind Black people that we're not immune to health issues. We're not immune to mental illness. We're not immune to 
suicide, substance use, alcoholism, most people, including most Black people slash Africans, have substance use issues and health problems on both sides of the family. And that's a very important thing because when we highlight as Africans, a lot of times as Africans, we pretend that we're countering oppression by being empowered to pretend perfection. Hmm. Like the only way to counter the oppressors is by saying, you know, we understand herbs and, and agriculture and pretend that we're just pure people who never had diseases and illnesses before the Arab colonizers showed up and before the European colonizers showed up. Mm. So that's something I always highlight. Black folks are really good at keeping secrets. Mm. Most black families <laughs> don't share health issues. True. So if you decide to go to a doctor yourself, you've got to do your own family history. Mm. And I don't want black people having to pay these DNA test companies to do a family tree. I really want black folks to, instead of having parties with your black family all the time and seeing your family reunions as a big old cookout and dance competition, actually turn them into conversations about health issues and tracking down family, especially those of us who are descendants of enslavement and of course we're all descendants of colonialism on every land around the world yeah so these are conversations and i tell africans this because africans have been brainwashed for five centuries to pause real life and to rely on politicians mm. governments mm-hmm Legislation, I heard that. police, court penal system, anyone other than ourselves to make changes that impact our lives. Mm. So that's also something I've addressed these past three years regarding COVID. Uh, I still spend a lot of money on COVID safe masks. I still don't party and hang out like I did before COVID. I tell black folks, you might miss me, but I'm not going to risk my health to have fun. Mm. So when there's an event, I'm always going to be very early. Like I do community health events. I'll set up my table at a distance. And I tell people when it gets very populated, I'm going to be the first to leave. Why? <laughs> because black folk want to party with us. But if I end up in the hospital, it ain't no black folks showing up. Yeah. And I also have a brain condition. Mm. So I also do epilepsy presentations, Africans with epilepsy. Black folks have a tendency to want to hang out. But when it's time for tragedy and people needing support, black folks are too busy. Yeah, we get distant. too busy to hang out. Yeah, we get real distant. So that's why I tell black folks, it doesn't matter what the policies and laws are regarding COVID. Our lives are more important than data. They don't include black death of COVID in COVID data. Mm. They don't include black deaths from COVID that actually happens every day around the world, including on African lands. They don't include our lives when making mask policies. Mm -hmm. 
in-person gathering policies. So that's why I am among one of the small percentages of people who is still doing what I can do to wear masks, to distance from people, to not show up to a lot of stuff like I used to, mm -hmm. including when I do community events. Like, was it two years ago almost now? You know, my favorite hip hop duo is Smith & Wesson. Mm -hmm. I tell people, I'm going to get there before everybody else. You still setting up the stage. Why am I there first? <laughs> because I already got their greatest hits in my car. I just came here because I'm here. They might be walking around. I'm going to be here for a couple of hours. If they're not on stage, I'm good. Because again, their greatest hits in my car. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to jam to, you know, Smith & Wesson. <laughs> Smith & Wesson, then we do it like, let's get it on. And then go home the next day I'm coughing or whatever. Or right. COVID. right. It's just not that crucial. So this is just something that I've captured more and more the last three years. I have my colleague, including my best friend, who's a colleague at another university, who's also done some research regarding COVID and Africans, which means Black folks all around the world. And we're highlighting some factual information, mm -hmm. including when certain African cultures will say they have the lowest COVID rates. I still want to highlight lowest COVID rates still means that there are Africans dying from COVID. Mm. So, I mean, how will you feel if your family members' deaths are considered minute because it's still low in the rate? Like it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Your family member died, but oh well, it's, it, 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 it's not there, not in a greater number. <laughs> yeah. And black folks get mad if that happens to us when it comes to police brutality, yes. when it comes to maternal care, yes. when it comes to childbirth, yeah. when it comes to the representation in incarceration. If people said we're not represented in that, we'd speak out about that. So I just really want our people to understand the same happening with COVID. Mm. So I, I don't, anyone who's read what I've written about vaccines and masks these past three years on social media will know that I don't preach about getting vaccinated. I preach about African freedom and that's freedom based on knowledge, not freedom based on conspiracy theories. It's freedom based on research. Mm -hmm. And you don't, I don't believe in joining a cult. So a cult is any collective, including religions, that tell you not to do something. Why? Because they said don't do it. <laughs> so if you're someone who still believes in wearing a COVID safe mask, not hugging folks, and maybe even getting the vaccine, that part is 100% up to you, based on your research. If that's what you believe, because you know that you have a health condition that makes you no, more susceptible to not only catching COVID, but dying and possibly bringing COVID back home to your family, do that. It don't matter what that quote says about you. And I'll shut up right there. <laughs> now look I, look I, I always appreciate your soapboxes um doctor i really do because they always are uh there's a lot of things that we need to just hear and i think that um the biggest thing that i think i always have noticed in just all of um all the things that you proclaim online and all the research that you let us you know that you put out and the work that you do 
so much of it, you know, speaks to, you know, some sense of self-liberation and uh, some simple sense of like, so, you know, controlling your own agency and having your own, you know, freedom and um, in various different ways. So I do genuinely appreciate, genuinely appreciate your candor for real, for real. But, um, but we have a very interesting topic that we're speaking about in this episode today and something that you know so much about. Yeah. <laughs> and it does not mean that, you know, and I think that so many people bring and speak to certain academics as if they are, quote unquote, authorities on certain things. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I've always had a lot of feelings about that because I feel like that, you know, pedestalizes a person's mind and perspective to a point that might be uh, unhealthy. Um, and we have to like be okay with the understanding of like, you know, there's more work to do. There's more to learn. There's more to transpire for us to, you know, um, for us to really start to think things because we're literally in the thick of it. And that thing that I want to start off by speaking about is um, something that you mentioned, you know, you mentioned a piece of it, at least something that's a very big part of it, and that's, you know, police brutality. But crime, the connection between crime and blackness is something that I think not only in the past three years, but honestly, I feel like my first genuine understanding that police and black people um, have a very specific uh, uh, contentious connection was um, probably um, when I was very young. I was very young. I had to be maybe in the it was in the early 2000s, I want to say. I remember changing schools and kids because my name is a name that, you know, was very popular, popular with people born before my time. Uh, and I'm a junior too. So that's another thing. Um, so many kids was like, like Rodney King, like Rodney King. I'm like, mm-hmm. who is that? You know? And, um, had to kind of, you know, understand and learn the association. And, and it, it, it created a very funny phenomenon with my name because, um, I've only met a very small amount of Rodney's in my lifetime. And every other person I ever meet tells me about maybe one other Rodney that they know. And it's mm-hmm. so funny to me because it's like, how is it like genuinely, it's like a very known name, but people don't know a lot of, you know? And I always thought it was an interesting thing. But I think that realization that police and blackness and black people were a very contentious, had a very contentious connection had a lot to do with it had a lot to do with um me going to college me going to college in Georgia during the specific time I went to college in Georgia and it was basically happening during the Troy Davis trial uh, and I'm not sure how much you paid attention to that when that was going on in 2000 the fall of 2011 but it was extremely impactful to me because I was in Georgia I was a freshman in, in um in college I went to a HBCU and in the midst of these things, learning this historical, uh, these historical events that occurred just on my campus from, you know, Atlanta student movement and to, you know, the, you know, just the, the various different activism groups that were, you know, spawned in various different decades that happened on my campus. Um, I was learning so much all at once while there is a reason to act in some form of protest is available to me as well. So it was like, I'm literally learning about the past and the people who walk these same, you know, the same promenade, the same hallways, the same dormitories as, as um, 
as me all, and had an opportunity to, you know, fight for some form of justice that was maybe outside themselves or connected to them in some way, shape or form. And here it is. School is sponsoring buses to go and protest uh, at the, you know, at the actual prison that he was, you know, incarcerated in and, and, and protesting at, you know, the judges, uh, like whatever the court system, where the courthouse was, where the judge who was, you know, you know, kind of judging his case. And I'm just like, okay, this is interesting, you know, and then just paying attention to the story, literally just paying attention to the story. And it really captured me because it was like, I was really, I, I felt like I really wanted him to get out of this situation. Like, it's like, if there's a chance that this man doesn't have to die for something he didn't do, I would love for that to be what comes out of this. And um, I had so much hope. And I thought, and if any, everyone, maybe, you know, if you're listening to this and you remember this story, I feel like it had to have been in the middle of the day. The judge had halted because he was supposed to, it was supposed to happen at a very specific time. They were supposed to execute him. And it didn't happen at that time. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's, and I think everybody paused who was paying attention to it. And the fact that it didn't happen, the fact that it, it didn't just stop, the fact that it still happened and execution still went through, it, it just felt like, um, I don't know, something something happened to me that day. Like so much happened to me that day. It, it was very much a, if there was a little piece of veil left when it came to just hope in a system, hope in a, in an understanding that, you know, when the, when the, when the facts have been laid out and it seems like there can be some type of, you know, leniency or clemency given to the moment that is not given. It was just like, okay, <laughs> this is welcome to college. Welcome to life in a way, you know, and I, I don't know. It's, I, I feel like that was so impactful to me. And then literally, Preceding that time in 2011, it was like in just a sequential order, another major event happened, another major event happened, another major event happened, another major event happened. Like right after that, it was Trayvon Martin. Right after that, it was, you know, it it just kept happening and kept happening and kept happening while I was in college. And it was happening even locally in Atlanta, things that didn't get um, this kind of, you know, national acclaim. And now that was when I recognized that was happening. It was like, oh. So this is really happening so much that they're not even that it's certain stories. They not they can't even cover because this one story is way more sensational than the the one that's happening here and just in in you know West Atlanta. And so it's like, oh my God. So if it's happening here like this, my mom is calling me telling me about a guy I went to high school with just got shot. And I'm just I'm I'm okay. So it's all around the world. And um long story long in introduction to the topic is I as, as long-winded as I always am, but I felt like I needed to tell the antidote because mm-hmm. I think that everybody has a story like that. I think everybody has a story to where, you know, they've directly been, you know, directly been faced with the, you know, if if not just by way of kind of, you know, police interaction, obviously, uh, have seen how this impacts the community as a whole and um, and what it does to us and how no matter how much of it happens, so often it still stings it still affects us but I, but you know i would love to know kind of you know what do you believe this really kind of does to us from a social context you know just that the fact that this you know connection between you know just prime the police 
and, and, and black people has forever been this contentious thing. And I, you know, I think a lot of people can understand the history of that, but I would love to know kind of what that really does to us from a social context. Okay. So I will say that black people have been trained for centuries to not notice anything until it's announced to black people. Mm. So I'm going to pause there because I really want black folks to think about what that means. So I don't watch CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, any of that. I encourage black folks to stop going based on news stories. Uh, I recommend supporting local news sources, especially black news sources and black journalists. But either way, I encourage black folks to stop being fly by night up and down every time a new news story comes out. Because mm. it's really things that are always happening every day. Mm. And social media makes it worse. And that's one of my things that I really can't stand on social media. And I've been told I have to tolerate it but I deactivated Twitter because I just got tired. Um, I can understand that. <laughs> hashtags, videos, announcements. It's like people who just, nothing's important on social media or on the news. Mm -hmm. So this is why I just tell black folks, these are problems that always persist. Yeah. It don't matter how many black folks get killed. The same as it don't matter how many black folks get terminated from jobs. Mm. Most black folks keep doing the same thing. Yeah. Not to counter anything in the establishment. And the brainwashing is this falsehood that now, like your school gave y'all buses. Mm -hmm. Now, what is the real meaning of an HBCU giving y'all buses to do a protest? Because mm. mm. HBCUs lost their historic purpose a long time ago. Yeah. Because their creditors, funders, yes. and approval, the board of trustees are white people, right? Mm-hmm. So these are all formats of Negroes needing permission. Yes. To be conscious, organized, and prepared to do something. But not prepared to really do something. Just march down the street, shut up and come back to class tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what it was. <laughs> do some hashtags on social media. Yeah. Go fuss at a politician. Yeah. But trust the Congressional Black Caucus that they truly care about you mm -hmm. in addition to their salary that they always get no matter what they do to you. Mm -hmm. Vote blue no matter who. Vote or die. Yeah without actually having a conscious understanding of the fact that every politician and every political party is going to do what they do to you. Mm. It doesn't mean not to vote. 
it means that black vote needs to be based on black research and an understanding of what it means to demand financial audits and evidence. Don't ever trust the whitehouse.gov giving you a list of what a president has done for you. <laughs> the credibility when it lists Biden's accomplishments are the same credibility as when it lists Obama's accomplishments and the same credibility as when it lists Trump's accomplishments Bush's accomplishments and every president. Mm -hmm. It gives you a long list. And particularly for black people, because they know that most black people are told to just be loyal mm. and to not take the time to read. Which also connects to when we talk about, think about books being banned. What mm. do I think? Nothing. Why? Because the purpose of Black families, Black communities, and Black collectives is for us to get our own resources. We literally have Black bookstores, Black libraries. Yeah. We have Black folks' basements that have had... We have hundreds of thousands of books that you won't find anywhere because non-Black people keep our books out of these places. Yeah. So I don't need y'all to give anyone permission to have a book because my yeah. brothers and I were taught by my black educator parents in our black schools. We arrive with our own books. Mm -hmm. What you going to do? Mm -hmm. We arrive with knowledge so that black children learn that Africans have thousands of years of theories as do indigenous, as do Asian populations. Black folks have theories before critical race theory and before intersectionality theory in the 80s. Mm. So I say all this in response to you because we're going to keep being outraged because they're going to keep doing something to harm us physically, mentally, financially. Because they figured out over five centuries that they really don't have to do anything. Yeah. Because most Black folks have learned to just chill out until it's time to be outraged, do the outrage for a little bit, throw the outrage at the politicians that mm. say that they're going to do some changes, True. and then go back to chilling. And that's the routine. Those of us who don't do that routine, we're seen as unruly unprofessional, divisive, disobedient, non-collaborative with Democrats, intolerant of Black politicians, because we don't go with their, the book, the spook by the door. Mm. You know? Work this with notion us. That's counter to mm -hmm. what Dr. Anna Julia Cooper said, which counter to what Ida B. Wells said, counter to what Dr. W.B. Du Bois said, it's counter to all these Black folks who've explained the dueling processes. Instead, Black folks want to talk about white people's terminology of code switching and imposter syndrome. Why are you talking about white people's terminology of code switching and imposter syndrome? When we have centuries of Black folks explaining this process that's complex, 
but that we know how to do it. Why are you allowing white people to tell you that you're confused, that you're desperate, that you're an ignorant people? White people of every socio-political affiliation around the world mm. think that Africans are a stupid collective of people. White people who are considered radical, revolutionary, are the ones who consider themselves our saviors because they consider us an ignorant collective of people who know nothing. We don't come from sciences, mathematics, knowledges, arts, and literatures for thousands of years. Instead, they see us as a group of people who were discovered on open land, scratching our booties, mm -hmm. and it was white people who arrived to give us something to read and write. Mm. So yes, police will keep beating us. Yeah. Why? Because schools will keep mistreating us. Mm. This entire process is gonna keep happening because black folks will keep the routine taught in religious institutions taught in schools, taught in political realms. Black folks are celebrating Michelle Obama. She ain't saying anything profound, but they're doing the routine of you do just enough and you celebrate the just enough. Mm. And you celebrate becoming wealthy from the just enough. That's a big part right there. Well, and that's why I tell people when we talk about issues of exploitation, yeah, that's the exploitation of labor. Because I do believe a lot because of people believe that's the way. Yeah, I mean, you're not becoming wealthy by investing in something that can benefit the aggregate. Mm -hmm. So when people talk about former President Obama and what he did for Africa. Yeah. Hello, he balanced that with the money that they gave to AFRICOM, mm. the monies that they gave to the military, mm. the 1033 program. So it's the same process globally that they do to Black people locally and nationally. Mm. They give a little bit that's tax deductible depending on with what organization it's given but then they keep the funds in police departments. Black folks are told to now do some community programs yes. that are funded through police departments. Yes. So think about what that means. Your programs are funded through your tax money. Because again, it's your tax money. So you're basically paying for your own programs. Mm. And you're celebrating police departments doing basketball tournaments, fish fries, and other stuff. Mm-hmm. So you just fussed about that police department beating up somebody or killing somebody, but now you good that your taxpayer money is used for that same police department to host a black community cookout. And the worst is when they send the black cops out there. Yeah. Some of them who grew up in that neighborhood. You know, you gotta relate. You know, got to relate to the peoples. <laughs> yeah. Like I was, I mean, I spent 10 years collaborating with 
law enforcement. Oh, yeah. And there's a difference between being a good person and being a good cop. There's no such thing as good cops. Break that down, because that's, uh, that's, that's definitely something that I think is interesting. Um, because I feel like so often black people as a whole um, believe, you know, some people just kind of just stay, stay away and try their best to kind of really never come into contact with anything from in terms of anything police related or just anything within the quote unquote system. Um, but you have some who create a different narrative in their minds about like, you know, well, what if, what if I get a part of this? Like, I'm a good person. I think I'm a good person. The person that I am right now, pre making that choice. Why don't that be, why, why don't I put my hand and, you know, put my, throw my head into the, into the system and shake it up and be different. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a lover of film and television. And I'm like, there has like, if that was a, if that was something that was possible, <laughs> I think people would have dramatized, made a dramatization of it and made a lot of money from it. If there was someone who came into a system and shook it up. And the crazy thing, it has been stories, but it hasn't been a overhaul of the system. It's been stories of people who came and done quote unquote miraculous things, I guess you could say, um, in a certain system, but in reality, you know, there's no stories of anyone doing miraculous things in the in police departments and law enforcement. There's no such thing. No, I'm talking, I'm thinking about, uh, specifically just thinking about like the movie that came to mind was, uh, black Klansman was, uh, the movie that came to mind. And I say miraculous just from the sound, the, the, the idea of what the story they told. Not from a, a big major change situation. Because okay. I don't think there has been, like, I, I genuinely believe if there was a, a, an incident where someone came into a police municipality and shifted it and changed it, they would have found some way to make money from that story, and that hasn't happened. So, yeah, there's no such thing as shifting and changing a police department. You mm -hmm. get put behind a desk, you get terminated. Mm -hmm. um, White people and their buddies always find a way to punish you. So there's no such thing as changing anything that is harming people. And so this is just one thing I explain to our people. You don't have to be anti-police, anti-white, anti-non-black people. Don't waste your time on that part. Instead, focus on the resources needed to increase alternatives mm -hmm. for people. I feel that. Like, it's a waste of time if you think you're going to be standing on the corner cussing out police, saying, mm -hmm. get, out our get out of our neighborhood. Because police departments, politicians, government, very vindictive. Mm. If black, and they only do that to black people. Mm. You know, everyone else can yell at police and police will still be there doing their job that they're paid to do through your taxpayer money. But black folks yelling at police, if there's some kind of medical emergency the next day, and in most cities and states, unfortunately, police are considered first responders. I don't consider police first responders, but in most cities and most states, police are. Yeah. So if police know the neighborhood is opposed to police a little bit longer than that 911 call, mm. police are very vindictive, particularly for black people. Yeah. And so this is just one thing I explain. So instead of wasting time thinking that cussing out police departments actually does something productive for our people, 
Instead, see what can you do with your money and time to collaborate. And Black folks are doing this locally, nationally, and globally. I tell people, Black people are the only people who really don't know how to collaborate with our own people. Man. Competing with each other, against each other, rather, when it comes to grant funding for organizations, competing against each other, who's going to get this new idea for this organization that's going to do some real work. And that happens because that's centuries of the brainwashing. It's the brainwashing to prove your worth to white people and overall non-black people so that your funding can come through government entities or through schools mm. because you're proving you're intelligent. You're proving that you're doing something worthwhile. You're proving your superiority to those other black folks. You're proving that you're not mean like those other black folks. Mm. I'm not radical like those other black folks. Mm -hmm. I'm not Pan-African like those other black folks. I'm not black nationalist. I'm not like the Black Panther Party. I'm good. I'm going to show up with a three-piece suit. Mm -hmm. I'm going to look more British for you. We're good. Mm -hmm. And that is the accommodation that has been the detriment of our people for centuries, and not just in the USA, but around the world. So even our people around the world who stay connected with Africa have still adopted those components of the colonialism. Because yeah. colonialism is every part of life, from mm. the language that people are speaking yep. to everything else. Yep. And so that's why I just say, police are gonna keep killing. This process is gonna keep happening. So black folks will keep waiting for it to stop, but it's not going to stop. So that there's there's a lot more other things to do, and black folks have written and explained this to our own people for centuries now. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think that um, I think the most intriguing thing to me is that I think we have to. I think, and I said this in. Uh, a post on TikTok about, and it was speaking to kind of black owned businesses, mm -hmm. um, is that, okay, I get it, y'all. Y'all might not like the food in this particular place. But the fact of the matter is, how can we assist and help these things become better? How can we be, how can we pour into these people who had had the ingenuity to, and, and gained whatever capital they gained and invested that into something to provide something for the community instead of us being like, you know, instead of it being like this bashing and us kind of speaking to it and criticizing them publicly, how do we privately also support it and make sure certain things get better? Because if you are a person who works in, in marketing, if you are a person who's a, you know, work, worked for a restaurant group, how, why aren't you using your resources to kind of smooth out these edges? for uh, a potential good business idea. And um, I was used, I was, you know, speaking to restaurants because I think that's the main black owned business that I feel like people always have a lot of criticism for uh, speaking to, you know, is it is, have the whole chicken or egg conversation of like, is it us that's belittling the black owned business um, expecting a certain thing or is it the black owned business owners looking at us expecting us to look, you know, to be a certain type of consumer. And it's kind of like, to me, it's like the fact that that even exists speaks to the um, inability to collaborate in a, uh, in, a, in, a, in a more healthier way. 
because I feel like even then I was like, I know someone who literally creates like systems. And I believe that we can sit here and see the issues. If we are saying a lot of the same things from an aspect of food quality and food safety um, to a standpoint of customer service and training um, um, from a context of just from a hospitality context, like how do we make that into something that fits into our culture, into who we are, and um, and, and so we can continuously patronize these businesses, and uh, that they don't, they don't, there isn't a um, animosity for Black people coming and patronizing their business because we have so much to say about it. It's re- it's a real interesting phenomenon that I've noticed, but that's what I've noticed the most is like we we go extre- we're extremely critical of Black owned uh, restaurants and businesses, and I don't think that that's by way of no, uh, I don't think that that's all the way wrong or that shouldn't, that has no place, but I do believe collaboration, there's an opportunity for collaboration, you know, and making certain things better, but that's 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 just kind of how, uh, how I feel about it, because I think we should do that with, and with that way with something as, you know, as simple as, you know, improving and, and giving whatever resources when it comes to a business or whatever it might be, whatever community cause that needs more assistance or needs certain professional um, competencies for this to be a, a, a good project or a good cause uh, or a good initiative. That's the same thing we could do with every single thing. It's like, oh, we need more um, people to kind of, you know, assist with, you know, the kids who are, you know, it's it's cold in Chicago, it's cold in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not only just coats, but we, we the kids are literally, you know, they, they got coats. We need to think about transportation now. Like, some people really don't feel comfortable what's happening with, you know, with uh, the incidents that are happening with children on buses. Like, and this is a hypothetical, but I can assume it's probably something like, you know, similar to this. But like a hypothetical situation of that being a community need that people address. It's like there are young children um, going from school to whenever. Yeah, go ahead. I just want to clarify. So there's a difference between being a customer and being a collaborator. So yes. most of my money is spent in black owned. Mm-hmm. And that's when I donate and that's when I'm just a regular customer. Mm-hmm. And I intentionally spend most of my time and money with our people. So collaboration means reciprocity. Mm. Customer means I can go into the grocery store, somebody rude, I can bounce and never come back. Yeah. I usually will issue a formal complaint and get a coupon or something. (laughs) But if you want collaboration and you want me to help you beyond just being a customer, you want me to help with marketing and stuff, you you better watch your tone. Mm-hmm. You better develop your customer service. Yeah. When we talk about cultural variance, every culture around the world has cultural variance. I agree. We talk about Chinese restaurants in predominantly black neighborhoods and cities are much more rude than Chinese restaurants in white parts of cities. Oh, for sure. So a whole of different aesthetic. Chinese cultures know how to change the tongue and the voice when they're dealing with white people. And even white people don't even have more money than the black people or the customers. Mm -hmm. A lot of times black people are told, that's just how so-and-so talk. That's just how their culture talk. 
again. Oh, that's a, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. People know how to accommodate their customer. True. That's something that they learn in small business centers. That's something you learn in chambers of commerce. Mm -hmm. That's what they learn in business trainings. Bank loans explain this as well. Only black people are told to not expect that from the places where we spend our money. Mm -hmm. And this is like a basic qualitative research where you can see the difference in the tone and words that even our people who are born and raised on African land and people who are born and raised in Asia, East India, speak with us as compared to how they speak with white people mm. and their own people. Mm. They see black people who are forced in USA to transmit slavery as people who either don't have money people who are going to steal, people who are going to come here once and not be a consistent customer. They assume that we are people who are impoverished. And here's the thing about that, that's classist and racist and ableist, because even if you are impoverished, which we disproportionately are, we're spending a high amount of money. Impoverished Black people in particular have the highest taxes and particularly taxes spent when purchasing items at convenience stores and gas stations, mm -hmm. it's liquor it's stores, expensive to be in shops, Chinese restaurants. Mm -hmm. So even impoverished people deserve the best customer service. Because yeah. being impoverished does not mean you're not a good person, doesn't mean you're stealing, doesn't mean you're not paying. Right. Right? Right. You're right. So that's where the collaboration I'm a collaborator that I'm first and foremost a community advocate as well I spend most of my time doing is in communities. And of course I lived in North Carolina for 17 years and I'm from Richmond, Virginia. So wherever I can find black folks, locally, nationally, globally, I'm a collaborator, but I'm not a beggar. It's two different things. Mm. When I tell black folks that I want to connect to improve our people, if I have to chase you around, then that's my deal breaker. Mm. If I have to beg you to let me help you improve your business and mm. reaching our people, mm. then your business is not here for our people. Uh, and nor will I change that. And nor will I waste my time and my life doing that, especially for free. I assume you said it. So you sure I have said deal breakers it. for all types of people. Yes. I have deal breakers for non-black people who are anti-black. Mm -hmm. I have deal breakers for non-black people who are apathetic about our people and they just think that whatever. And I have deal breakers for our own people who are accustomed to our people being acceptable of anything just because you're black. Mm. I agree. Because that's also harmful. It's harmful whether it's done by black families, black neighborhoods, and black businesses. Yeah. We have to understand, again, for centuries, our people have explained that this is how we empower ourselves and each other. It's not for forcing each other into the worst. Because if we're forced into the worst, that's also why black people are mostly scammed by black people. Mm. And I'm going to say that again. Most people are, black people are mostly scammed by black people. We're told to not ask questions, not request receipts. 
not ask for tax deductible, mm. for tax season information, for donations to not request information to get to our tax preparer. Why? Because black folks help black people. Yeah. And I don't tolerate that anymore because I tell black folks, we can no longer complain about other people harming our people if we keep harming ourselves and each other. If you want to hold on to that, hold on to it, but keep me out of that equation because I will deny any invitation to that party. Mm. Oof, that's so real. And, and I think, you know, needs to be said, especially during um, a month like this month, because I think that, you know, to speak to history, um, there is such a, a interesting context of, you know, what we have seen and what we've been through, but I don't want to get on a, a, a I don't want to get too off track, but, uh, but I think it applies. Um, pivoting only slightly, because um, we're talking about, you know, the past past three years, the pandemic not only brought, you know, over a very biological awareness, but I think it also gave yet again another moment of kind of revealing America to be what it has always been from a standpoint of how it sees black people. Um, and there was a uh, moment um, throughout moments throughout 2020 um, where we were reminded of just how the system interacts with us um, in a fatal way. And I think that, you know, to me, the, one of the biggest things that came out of, I guess, one of the, I guess, the responses from a lot of different people, and it could have, you know, came by way of just, you know, internet kind of, you know, incubating some idea that finally kind of caught and became a viral topic um, that definitely, you know, certain news media thought to cover and, um, and certain politicians thought to, you know, respond to. But that was the idea of kind of, you know, the idea of defunding and the idea of um, and, and just like overall prison reform and prison prison abolition. Um, I would love to know kind of, you know, what were your. Because I'm assuming that some of these ideas probably existed prior to. Prior to um, 2020, I would love to know kind of, you know, what are those even truly substantial solutions um, at all in the systems in the world that we live in. Cause I can understand, I understand a lot of when you really try to be objective about certain things. I think for me, I just feel like there should be, a a, 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 a different sense of appropriating of particular funds because to hear these budgets, you know, in all these various cities and all these various towns and municipalities, hearing that they are the most funded over, you know, educational systems and social services, really does kind of, you know, eat away at your heart. Cause it's like, why do they need more money? Why do they need the most money? Like how much securing and quote unquote protecting is really happening if they need the biggest cut of the pot every single year, every single mayoral situation. So I would love to know kind of what you think about defunding and prison abolition. Yeah. And so the same thing happened of course in Baltimore with Mayor Brandon Scott, mm -hmm. who initially Black folks were excited because Mayor Brennan Scott is a younger Black man who's born and raised in Baltimore. Mm. And this is just an example of Black people believing what Black politicians sell them in campaigns, right? Yep, yep. And so, 
Look, black folks oftentimes get mad at me because they want me to spend a whole lot of time screaming about police and all this stuff. Yeah. But black folks, we've done that for more than a century. We've done that since Jim Crow. Because yeah. that's when the police in the United States of America were formed after Emancipation Proclamation. Mm -hmm. So we have to understand that these are all forms of distraction. So the whole defense and dismantle incarceration has been proposed by black people for centuries. The way it's presented since 2016 is white people's version. Mm. It's the version of white progressives, white anti-fascists, white Marxists, white communists. I always tell black people don't join these European white forms of radicalism. We can incorporate aspects of it, but we literally have African forms of radicalism mm -hmm. that not be put to the side to uh, prioritize white people's version which means you have to learn what Black people have written in proposals to police departments mm. in terms of changes in funding. Mm. I've explained for years as a criminologist with a background in criminal justice, defunding police is a phrase used to get attention, but it's actually not a really productive phrase. Really? I mean... Catchwords and catchphrases don't mean anything. Like I tell students and people in communities, unless you can explain what this really means and use language to explain it in communities, you're just following the popularity contest routine. Mm -hmm. It's nothing productive for progress. So defund police phrase is presented as all of a sudden police just gone, no money bounce police departments are gone and that's just not how this happens this is a process and the way i present it as addressing 95 percent of police funds being redistributed mm -hmm. to where they should be in the first place schools community health resources community learning spaces like libraries bookstores job skills workforce in other words, defund police needs to be better described as to what this means. Mm. Because when you pretend that Black folks don't need anything, like we don't need any emergency services, well, police already want to believe that. They already don't want to help us. They sure. want to patrol us. Sure. And they want to put helicopters over our parts of cities. And they're proud about the helicopters going. The, the white man that owns the helicopter company is making a lot of money from that, Baltimore included. So this is why I just tell black folks, you've got to explain in reality. You've got to use a realistic version. It can't just be conceptual and theoretical. It can't just be an idea. In real life, what does it look like when we reduce police funds? Okay. We're saying that police never deter crime. That's never been the case. 
We explain that in criminology and criminal justice all the time. People get murdered right in front of police. Mm-hmm. People steal cars right in front of police. Yeah. People are selling drugs right in front of police. True. Police are selling drugs. Yeah. Police are murdering people. That's what's going on now with the five black police officers. And criminologists have done research about black cops being the most brutal cops for years. Why is that done? Because when police departments say that they'll change if they become more diverse, they're not changing policies and practices and how they do trainings. Instead, they're disguising their abuses. Yeah. So that you can blame the Negro cops instead of saying the problem is police still. Exactly. You'll blame the LGBTQIA cops instead of saying the problem is police still. Exactly. That's the design. Mm. So that's why I was explaining getting rid of incarceration, that needs to be more clearly designed. I do not support prisons. I do not support juvenile facilities, Mm. but I also do not believe that there's a 100% way to not incarcerate anyone for anything. So from my criminology and criminal justice classes, I always give different examples and I ask students to provide honest feedback. And what always happens, and I've been teaching this for 18 years now, is that when it comes to drug possession, drugs dealing, people are like, oh, that's nothing. They should not be serving time. When it comes to things like stealing cars, like some kind of property issues, and certain forms of violence, like fighting altercations, people like, people can be rehabilitated. We bring people back into society, give people support groups, mental health counseling. Mm-hmm. But then when I raise the topic of domestic violence, mm. sexual assault, mm. rape, mm-hmm. child molestation. What do they say? I also use examples of serial killers. Mm-hmm. I said, what if somebody murdered your family member? There are some instances, of course, where people do not want capital punishment, but there's never been an incident yet where people say, I don't want the person in prison. Yeah. So what students will say is they really want to get rid of prison. However, they know in their heart that if it happened to them or if there's a child abuser, it will be different. And especially when there's no such thing as real resources that reduce the likelihood it's happening again. Exactly. So this is just where I tell people, this is an example of me Speaking to um, the the, the um, exercise that you're doing uh, with your students, um, yes. kind of giving them particular examples, and everybody basically uh, kind of like speaks to you know them still wanting prisons to be abolished, which I think is very much a, a very you know comes from a real more morality type of space mm-hmm. um, versus um, kind of considering the uh, so many elements. It's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of moving parts. Mm-hmm as well as just the phenomenon of life and people doing harm to you that is unforeseen and how you will be in that moment. It's real nice to say that you don't need prisons and that 
the world is going to be sunshine and rainbows until somebody go upside your mama head. Um, That's exactly right. So yeah, yeah, but no, no. If you if you have more to say today, I would love to hear it. No, I mean you just gave a really good overview, and this is one thing I tell people who are into prison abolition: mm -hmm. make sure they distinguish it from the issue of reducing police yeah. and people who are talking about getting rid of police. Because I, I I'm not pro police at all in any form. But make sure reducing police in terms of funds does not remove the resources that police have mm. instead of redistributes it. Because again, police, politicians, governments are petty, vindictive, and they are stolen and abused power. Yes. So when you are removing something, instead of them redistributing it properly to schools, to health services and communities to mm -hmm. workforce development programs mm -hmm. to, to disability services to substance use services to address the fact that a lot of issues regarding crime have to do with mental illness and substance use mm. not just a bunch of evil people a lot of times instead of redistributing it it just poof disappears and that's how these for-profit places also have non-profit windows that get money brought in through funding. Mm. I always tell people that meetings for a reason, not to do something that's productive for people, but to do something that's productive for their profit and their pockets. So people just have to understand when we talk about demilitarizing police, that's the 1033 program which of course takes the military gear mm. and gives it to police departments in Baltimore and across the nation. These police officers are running around looking goofy. Yeah, it's real, it's real off-putting. Yeah, like they're like, they're acting like children playing GI Joe games. It's just really stupid. Yes. But so that's why people have to have factual understandings of if they want to say defund police, have factual understanding of what that means in real life beyond just marches mm. and concepts, theories and hashtags, beyond a reading group. What does it look like in real life and what do black people have as a background of resources to buffer what these horrible decision makers are gonna do to harm us in our demands, because we've demanded the removal of police and and incarceration for centuries as black people. Mm. Mm. Also, understanding again, we're talking about changing incarceration, you want to specify what are we changing? Yes. Because you don't want to say we're getting rid of prisons at all. Because if you are saying that, then now we have to say, are you willing to give your taxpayer money into Programs for child molesters, mm. domestic violence abusers, mm. and serial killers and serial rapists. Yeah. So that's the factual reality that I address as a criminologist with the background of criminal justice beyond this false notion that being an African radical requires everyone to just get along and agree on stuff. That's not how humans have done for hundreds of thousands of years. And you know, that's that's such a good point to make 
before I get to this next, uh, to I guess my last question to you is mm-hmm. like, I think that um, there's an interesting, you know, have this, we're having this conversation in Black History Month, and I think there's an interesting romanticization of blackness that I think is so intriguing um, from a context kind of, you know, thinking about what you said earlier about there being things that existed prior to uh, European and Arabian interaction um, with so many different, you know, African people uh, throughout antiquity and, and so in so many other parts of history. But like also to like we fought wars like we <laughs> we we had major conflict over resources. We like these things are not uh, these things are not just things that came up out of nowhere. You know, and right. I think that uh, very often people romanticize the, you know, it's very much the we was kings, yeah. you know, idea of it all is like we was all we all had I we all had 40,000 acres and and, and 10,000 mules. We had about 10 or about 10 or 11 concubines. We yeah. was all good. It was gold, man, samosa, <laughs> no periods, no crime. No, no, not no like interest, no violence, no force. And no we was and we was levitating. Them. We was levitating. We was moving pyramids with our minds. All of this is happening all in in, in the same timescape. And it's yeah. kind of like, okay, y'all, like we. we it's not we, a fashionable depiction of Africans for thousands of years. Yeah, like it's okay. It's okay that they, we can go back in history and find just the overall, you know example examples of true humanness and humanness yeah. is not based in this high morality point like life happens resources happen things things unknown occur from you know if you do depend on a particular livestock um in a particular area that can just be depleted by things you don't even understand there's natural things happening there's a whole there's a whole sinkhole happening that has depleted that water source killing out this livestock that you depend on. And that's just the scenario that you just might not even notice because you're not in nature in that way. You're in nature in that way of, inter, you know, of intervention and interaction, but you don't know what's really happened to this actual habitat. So yeah. you have to be okay with understanding like, oh, it's a drought. Oh, it's a this. Oh, we all kind of were fed via the same source. Those things occurred. We were before like before the colonizers yeah. arrived. Yeah. Before the terrorists arrived and forced religions on us. Mm-hmm. And that's important to highlight because a lot of Africans will say things like, Well, we're part of the origins of Christianity and Islam and Judaism. I says being part of the origins is because when something is forced on you, and Judaism of course is listed as it's not the most dominant religion in the world because mm-hmm. the colonialism with Judaism is different than Christianity and Islam. Mm-hmm. But being part of some of the first thousands of years happened because of still colonialism though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you can talk about trade and travel during trade, but it's still the colonialism that made these dominant religions on African lands and around the world. So this is why I always tell Africans, it's okay to be offended. It's okay to be bothered. I'm not bothered by people being bothered by me. <laughs> would you, would you, would you, would you say, uh, the last question I have for you is in the realm of kind of, you know, when we had our pre-interview, you were speaking to, you know, and you've brought it up early in this conversation as well about, you know, 
where so many people within our communities could, you know, spend more time doing, you know, instead of just becoming a cop, instead of, you know, getting part of the system in a particular way, because you believe you have the notion and belief that you can really shake it up and change it. Uh, get into, you know, pouring into other resources that are genuinely either already shown to be helpful or need mm-hmm. to be created. And you believe that you can, you know, you have the wherewithal to make that thing happen. Those preventative methods. I would love to know what do you think, you know, because I can imagine it, uh, that you've probably thought and discussed with about so many. But the thing that really, really feels like the most impaired, you know, kind of um, holds the most precedence at this point in time and most imperative preventative method that you believe we need right now. Hmm. Why has it got to be a competition? Why did I choose one? Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, this is, that could be a whole episode in itself, just preventative yeah. methods. But I would love to know kind of mm. just so, so that it can be, if anything, that could be a conversation that continues. Like, this is a thing that we could use right now and we can continuously build on that. So for me, it's an, an integration mm. of education, wealth building Mm. and health. So there are Africans such as myself who are components of all of that. So we do have Africans who specialize in components of all of that. So education is teaching Africans how to increase learning. Mm -hmm. And the learning has to be based on, Yes, we have to play the game in terms of what these schools are forcing us to teach in some ways. Mm-hmm. And that's those are schools all around the world where you're learning a select version of knowledge. And the select version is mostly selected by colonizers. And I explain this to our people all around the world who think that they're just learning African knowledge. I'm like... Where's the last time you've been to the library? Where's mm. the last time you've done library search? Where's the last time you looked at the school curriculum? Mm-hmm. If you think that you're learning even 50% African knowledge originated by Africans, not picked up by Africans, but originated by Africans, and that's um, another form of convincing that has happened there. Yeah. So that's where the education is, whether it's K through 12, colleges, trade schools, anything. It has to be a form where you're not always obedient. Yeah. And I always have to tell this to black teachers, black school decision makers. They always pretend, and I'm going to say it again, they pretend to be invested in black women. Mm. But they're invested in their jobs most of the time. Understandable. Yep, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> that's what it is. Most and, I'm, of them. and I'm always told, well, no, you just don't understand the process of how it happened. Well, you all don't understand that you're just complying with the process and how it has to happen. Mm-hmm. I understand the process. I specialize in curriculum and mm-hmm. have worked in academia for more than a decade. So I understand the process. The problem is you all understand the process and you're proud of understanding the process. You haven't veered into challenging the process. You pretend that being a challenging black person means that you're gonna put a little challenges there, but you're still gonna apply to the process. That means you're not challenging anything. Mm-hmm. So, so I tell black folks, if you're going into education, whether you get an EDD, become a substitute teacher, whatever you do, ask yourself, 
Are you going to changing things? Or are you going to be obedient? Because if you're going to be obedient, we got enough obedient black folks as teachers. Period. Do you really need that as your job? <laughs> no. I'll go ahead and answer that for y'all. So the next one has to do with health. Mm -hmm. Medical and health professionals. Most black medical and health professionals around the world have no comprehension of African holistic health. Mm. So I collaborate with African holistic health professionals, and that integrates components of Asian and indigenous Aboriginal health as well. I see. The whole idea is to make sure that we try to reduce this prevalence of white people being in charge of Chinese medicine centers and white people being in charge of yoga and white people being in charge of stage and insect vaccines and medicines. So, so the issue of medicine is that we need to make sure people are ready to challenge medical and health academic programs and trainings and policies. So that's the health. Okay, that's the health. Component there. Mm -hmm. I'm there because that's a huge thing. So, what are your thoughts on that? I would I would love to speak to like it's crazy how all those things are connected, and um, I think I've always known that, but it's so interesting because I think all of them, you know, involve wealth and involve money and involve resources. Uh, all of them have you know their specific mm -hmm. issues that are you know you can like broaden out and like create even like just trees and you know branches and branches and branches of issues from you know black women and how the health system treats them to black children and how the educational system treats them at you know various levels to in workspaces how there is a true true like almost like you're gonna you're gonna get to where we want you to get that benefits us as slow as it happens, we're not going to immediately change your life by giving you this grand position that you could possibly, that you are already showing some competency or could be, a, you know, good at. And it could change your life because we're giving you more money to do a particular responsibility. Um, we'd rather just give it another four or five years. We'd rather just get as much as we can out of you before we start to just give you this, you know, lump sum of money that could, you know, shake up some things. So it's it's intriguing to me, and I think that that is something that mm -hmm. is necessary. Like just that 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 triangle of things mm -hmm. that are very well needed and very well um, have so many disparaging disparaging like aspects within our community, especially as we've seen it and and we're still dealing with it today from the pandemic. There are people still shaking back from the pandemic, from either losing jobs to wanting to mm -hmm. shift to you know, protesting in some way, shape or form based off of body autonomy. Um, it just, it's so many various things that people are still dealing with to this day. Um, and it's all connected to those things. It's like, 
from an educational standpoint, they have to deal with that, you know, in terms of their children at home, from a wealth standpoint, uh, um, just dealing with having to kind of just still play the game of capitalism and commerce to try to find a way to make it in, in this in this particular society to um, to just health. How yep. the to me, and I think that's why I'm a person who really, really is became a lot better about my wellness prior to 2020 and definitely even more in depth of uh, so much of the like branded content that I've done in recent uh, in the recent months and things I'm planning to put out are really all about wealth and what well, like wellness and health about mm-hmm. really putting better things into your body, really treating yourself better mm-hmm. you know, from that context, because that is one thing that I really truly believe we sleep on. Mm-hmm. We might be quote unquote ambitious and on the road to trying to beat the game of capitalism, we might, you know, say that we can go get every credential in the world and try to be disciplined and reading all these books and doing these things. But the one thing that I feel like no matter if you are the richest or you are the person who's still trying to figure it out, both of those black folks probably ain't taking care of their bodies in the way that they probably should. <laughs> right. and, and so, to me, you know, and, we, and I, we, we need more of that. So I do believe that yeah. that's a great kind of preventative measure that could genuinely create more opportunities in every single aspect and then like have branches that sprawl out into areas that we really, really, truly need them. Um, But let's send it on. And and I send it on portion of my podcast is my call to action. And what I would love for you to do is just to let everybody know um, how they can support you how they can, you know, continuously keep up with you and um, and all your things. Thank you so much. People can go to 365diversity.com and they can find me on Linktree at Dr. Kenya Narun Dennis. You can donate. You can also collaborate with me virtually or in person, depending on where you're located. Mm-hmm. I prefer virtually during COVID, especially if you're not in Baltimore. We can do some health events to explain what it means to be healthy. And also one issue that I'm tackling with Africans is the issue of the use of medical cannabis Mm. and understanding cannabis is not something that's as pure and without any side effects as people have been falsely taught. So that's also something that's important when addressing the pros and cons of everything that you do with Africans. Mm. And lastly, to connect with me, we can also collaborate to discuss issues of wealth. So wealth does not mean that you become a millionaire. (laughs) Wealth literally means that you build up your savings account. It means that you're building up some of your investments for emergency services to deal with something if you're going to go through unemployment. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I connect Africans with my black man financial advisor, and he's amazing. He wants to reach all of our people as much as possible to teach wealth building and to stop black people from being afraid of building up savings, investments, because so many black folks have fallen for this falsehood that being wealthy means that you have to become a millionaire. You have to harm somebody to be wealthy. 
Mm-hmm. And that's none of that. Being wealthy means that you're reducing the likelihood of living paycheck to paycheck. Yep. That can be putting aside $20 a month, but don't tell other folks because they're going to want to get some money from you. <laughs> that includes your family. So putting aside $20 a month, whether it's from an employee credit union or mm-hmm. a credit union in your city and state. And this is a process that if black folks keep telling ourselves that we can't accomplish something, guess what? We'll never accomplish. We can't expect non-black people to do things for us. We have to keep doing things for ourselves and each other and stop self-convincing that we can't do it. Mm. We can. Doesn't mean it's perfect, but it means it's a process for the rest of our lives and the rest of human existence. Mm. So let's do it. Let's do it. Also, you uh, you sent me um, something, and this episode is coming out on the 13th. Um, so I would love, love, and I'm putting a graphic somewhere up in here, up in here. But uh, you sent me a webinar that you're hosting on Monday. That's Monday, February the 13th. Today, if you're hearing this today, as the episode is premiered, definitely tap in. And uh, at 8 p.m. Um, and the link is you can find. I'm gonna put the link um, in the description of this particular uh, episode. And, um, and stay in touch, you know, stay in touch. If, and that's if, for students. So students in trade schools yes. and any kind of school. Yes. Issues of substance use and suicide. Yes. So thank you. So please, so please tap in. And if you are listening to this any other time in, in, in you know, the day after or so on and so forth, definitely tap in with the resources that, you know, that you'll see from Dr. Kimia Ennis. And, uh, but also, um, just tap in with her, follow her. She's a great follow. It is said that y'all Twitter, y'all getting on her nerves because she's great followers. She was a great follow on Twitter too. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just that weeks ago. So <laughs> I'm on Instagram. Yes, but <laughs> you can find everything to keep up with Dr. Kimia Den- D- Nuru Dennis uh, in the description of this episode. I want to thank you for giving me your time, Doc. Um, it's always great, and I know that you know so many words that you say are always impactful, and I always am you know, down for giving space for anybody who is down, down for just, you know, black freedom as a whole and what that looks like. And that being something that is truly going to be a process and a process that's a, that could be one that's, you know, obviously labor, but it's has a very righteous goal. And, um, so I appreciate you. I really appreciate you for the work that you do and the time that you gave me. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you always. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but no, if you don't know, you should know. You can follow me everywhere at Kings underscore memoirs. Uh, make sure that you go and subscribe to the Patreon. I'm giving you bonus, bonus, bonus content um, and so much more to assist us and help us not only develop creatively, but also personally. So go, go, go. Uh, it starts off at five dollars to subscribe and there's different levels to have even more fun. So. Um, make sure that you follow the podcast at Simply King Pod on IG and, the, and the, go and like the Facebook page at Simply King, as well as make sure, make sure, make sure if you need any digital marketing needs, if you are a small business, if you are a new, new business owner or entrepreneur or whatever you would like to identify as, you're trying to make some money on the internet, definitely reach out to me for your digital marketing needs. That's at Life is King at www.lifeisking.com. You can check all those things out in the description of this episode. I appreciate you for listening. This has been the Soulfully Conscious Podcast for Humans, Simply Being Humans. I've been Rodney Perry. This has been Dr. Kimya Narudinis, and this has been Simply King. Peace. Peace.
gun clap. Home of the original 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 gun clap. Got five MC that wanna contest we Got your nooses ready hanging over the trees Bring on your sounds and get drowned by my massive Kill your body boy and hold your love up for hostage Knock knock, Maggie knock the